invite you to turn in your Bible tonight to Psalm 35. Psalm 35, as we are making our way through the, uh, the Psalms. We come to a Psalm tonight that I have to confess, if I were just picking a uh, text, thinking to myself, what should I preach on um, Sunday night, I would, not have, I would not pick Psalm 35, most likely, um, and you're going to see why in a moment. It's an uncomfortable psalm, but uh, it is in the Word of God, and we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, all Scripture is useful, and uh, this is a text that challenges us, uh, because we don't naturally think this way, we don't naturally feel this way. There's, if you're paying attention, you're going you're gonna to be a little bit uneasy with uh, some of the things you read about here in Psalm 35. So let's give our attention to God's Word. Psalm 35 beginning at verse 1. We'll read the entire psalm. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him? Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those who rejoice over me, who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land. They devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say, we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame. And disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. 
Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Let's ask the Lord to bless us. God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you train our minds and our emotions. And so we pray, Lord, for your blessing tonight. Give us, um, give us ability to understand and to hear and to delight in Jesus, the one who has rescued us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we come to a psalm, as I said, that might sound, sound a little strange uh, to your ears as uh, David uh, wishes um, bad things to happen to his enemies. And prays that God would uh, would do um, would would destroy them. That's that's the psalm. Uh, we, as you know, there are various uh, different genres of psalms. There's psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving. Uh, there are psalms of uh, lament, uh, confessing of sins, and there's there's songs of uh, imprecation. And that's what we have here tonight: an imprecatory psalm. Uh, an imprecatory psalm is a psalm where uh, David asks God to judge his enemies. And the challenge that, that we have as Christians is how do we reconcile that with uh, what Jesus tells us, for instance, in Luke 6, 27, where Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, not against them. Again, so he says in, in Luke 6, I say to you here, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. And Jesus, of course, did exactly that when he was being crucified. For instance, he prays, Father, forgive them. Uh, they know not what they do. So what do we do with a psalm like a 35? There are others. There's Psalm 69, Psalm 109. Uh, psalm 69 uh, reads, um, let me just give you some of the, the prayers here. Let their table, the enemies, uh, be, before them become a snare. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see. Pour out your indignation on them. Add to them punishment upon punishment. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Psalm 109, appoint a wicked man against him. In other words, when he's in trial, get to have a wicked, a wicked judge or, or someone, a, a wicked enemy against him. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. May his days be few. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. That is a, not a nice prayer. That's wishing dire things on your enemies. So what do we do with psalms like this? And there, there are others, and there are statements that are even more shocking. Well, um, the, sort of the common response of many is to just say, well, that's Old Testament. Don't really quite get it, but uh, that was the Old Testament was a God of anger and wrath and judgment. And in the New Testament, we have a God of mercy and love and kindness that, so that um, we just need to sort of politely... Uh, ignore these psalms of imprecation. They're, they're embarrassing. Uh, it's a naive religion. C.S. Lewis, if you've read his book on the psalms, um, has nothing good to say about the psalms uh, of imprecation, except that maybe they, they show what a, you know, a, a sort of a natural response to evil, but there's nothing redeeming. They're embarrassing. They're naive. Let's just, let's just put them aside. 
So that's a very common uh, response, that uh, we should be, um, we're New Testament Christians, not Old Testament uh, believers. The problem, of course, well, there are various problems. One is that uh, God claims David, the author of this psalm, uh, to be a man after his own heart. Uh, Richard Ellsworth, uh, as he reflects on this, says, some, some say these psalms are merely reflections of the unworthy spirit that held sway in Old Testament times, but has now been replaced with the loving spirit of the New Testament. There are several problems with this conclusion. Firstly, even the Old Testament calls for the people of God to love their enemies. And that's absolutely true. uh, Exodus 23, verse 4, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. Be kind to your enemies. Proverbs 24, 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. And so the Old Testament also knows what it means to to love your neighbor and and even do good to your enemy. And also we, we note that in the New Testament, the imprecatory psalms are quoted quite often, 13 times, and never with an apology. Uh, never with any sense of, sh- of, of difficulty or shame. They're, they're just quoted as Scripture. But even maybe more troubling, we know that, uh, that Jesus himself spoke imprecations. He, he pronounces curses. For instance, on the fig tree that bore no fruit, He pronounced curses and woes on the Pharisees and leaders who opposed him. He pronounces curses on the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida, who he had done so many miracles, and yet they refused to believe. He said, even in our text this morning, Jesus pronounced a woe, a curse on Judas. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. You find the Apostle Paul um, pronouncing imprecations in his letters. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Galatians 1. If we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. And in case you, you, you missed what I was saying, he goes on and says, as we said before, So I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So Paul pronounces accurses. In Revelation chapter 6, we read of the saints who were martyred and they are there under the throne of God and they're praying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So it's not going to work to say, well, uh, that's just Old Testament stuff, and we can shove that in the closet and close the door. Um, We're New Testament Christians. We're faced with, of course, um, these psalms as as biblical Christians. Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what I'd like to do tonight is, first, we're going to look at the psalm and, and... dig into it a bit so we understand what David is actually doing, and then we'll, and then we'll wrap up and, and thinking more about how, to, how do we uh, apply this in our day today. If you look at the psalm, it'd probably be helpful to have your Bible open. In the first three verses, you have a summary of the psalm as David, um, in verse 1, sort of speaks of a courtroom scene. Contend is a, is a legal term. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. And then in verse 2, take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. That there's this, there's this physical contest, like a battle going on. And, and David wants God to get engaged like a warrior and, and come to his rescue. There's, there's battlefield imagery. 
Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers and say to my soul, I am your salvation. Vindicate me, rescue me, save me. And, and do that by destroying my enemy. And you'll find then in, in, the, in the psalm, there are three main stanzas of verses 4 through 10, 11 through 18, and 19 through 28. And I'm not going to take the time to uh, unfold all of them, but notice in 4 through 10, we have this, this uh, battlefield contest um, imagery going on again as, as David lays out what, what's, uh, what's going on and, and prays against uh, his enemies. So let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed. Let them be like chaff before the wind. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Now one thing I would like you to note in that is that David is not just trying to think of nasty things to to wish for his enemies. Um, What he's doing is um, following along with what God has um, already said in his word will happen to his, God's enemies. So when he prays, let them be put to shame who seek after my life, um, that is a common theme in scripture, that those who oppose God and God's cause will be put to shame. They're going to be exposed. They're going to they're realize that they were opposing the living, true God. To their horror, they're going to realize that their entire life was built on a lie and they are the fool's. And so David's praying for um, what is going to happen. Psalm 25, verse 3, they shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Let them be like chaff before the wind. Well, that's exactly what God says is true of the wicked, right? The wicked are like the chaff, Psalm 1, that the wind blows away. That's what they're like. That's, that's going to be their end. Verse 5, the, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Well, the, we, we, you see that in Scripture. You see the angel of the Lord, for instance, uh, on Passover night as, as he brings judgment on the Egyptians. And in that judgment of the Egyptians, the Israelites are set free. You see it in the, in the collapse when the Israelites go through the Red Sea. Um, their salvation is also part of God's judgment as Pharaoh's army is, um, is drowned in the Red Sea. And you'll find throughout Scripture the angel of the Lord fighting for his people by destroying, for instance, the army of the Assyrians. So David's just asking God to do what God has already promised to do and what God has done in the past. This is, this is, uh, these, these prayers are not just David's thinking up bad things. Uh, David is thinking about uh, what God, how God responds to the wicked and to evil. In verse 8, David asked for retribution. Let, let their crimes come upon their head. Uh, maybe the classic story of example of that would be Haman who builds a gallows to, uh, to hang his enemies and Mordecai particularly and uh, Haman ends up on his own gallows. So you get the sense as you read an imprecatory psalm that these are not just uh, bitter scared people lashing out in their fear and animosity, but, but David is writing within very um, specific biblical categories and boundaries. This is being formed by biblical truth, biblical themes. And, and you also note in the psalm uh, why he's writing, the motive behind it. He, he he, he shows that there's, there's this incredible unjust hatred that's taking place. Uh, verse 7, without cause, they hid their net 
for me. Without cause, they dug a pit for my life. Uh, verse 11, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask of me things I do not know. In other words, people are, are com- they're, they're coming to the, uh, the stand and they're testifying that uh, David has done this or said this. He says, I don't know anything about it. It's pure fabrication. It, it never took place. These are malicious witnesses. They repay me evil for good. Uh, David says in verse 13 and 14, I, when they were in trouble, when they were in grief, I joined them in their sorrows. But when I was in trouble, verse 15, they had a party. They rejoiced and gathered together against me. Now why? Why would they do this? And the answer is because they hate him. Verse 16, they, like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. They hate him. And they delight to show that hatred. David, throughout the psalm, expresses confidence that God will hear, and he promises that he will rejoice when God delivers. But in verse 17, he says, oh, Lord, how long, how long is that going to take? How long will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng. I will praise you, but Lord, how long? I've not checked, I've heard before, and I believe it's probably true, that the most common prayer in scriptures is that prayer. How long? It's the most, most oft-repeated prayer. How long before justice actually is served? How long before evil is thoroughly destroyed? We get used to evil. It's, we just sort of think that's how, that's how the world is. Well, that's, it is not how the world ought to be. If you want to read a great little book on sin, um, I'm not going to think of the offer. Uh, Doug felt you could help me, but it's called Sin. It's by Plantiga, uh, Breviary of Sin, uh, not the way it ought to be. The way, yeah, not the way it ought to be. Great book on sin. And you just get a sense that this is not right. We get used to it. We get sort of comfortable with it. It, it, it seems normal. It's not normal. It's fundamentally flawed. If, you, if you've seen, a, a, maybe you suffered some tragedy, a young, a young child dies, or, or um, some awful crime is committed, or some devastating natural disaster that, that, just, that just kills thousands of people, you, you get a sense, this, this, is not, this is not how it's supposed to be. But particularly when there's, when there's, when there's incredible injustice, when, when there's a Hitler who, who intentionally murders to his very best ability, as many Jews as he possibly can, for no other reason than the fact that they are Jewish. Or, or Stalin murders millions in the, uh, the gulags. You just sense there's something so fundamentally wrong with this world. There is, there is something so so horribly amiss, and, and it's evil. That's what, that's what you see. You sense the sheer evil of it. And that's what David is sensing here. And so he says, Lord, how long before you, you rescue me from the lions who are gnashing at me, seeking to destroy me? When, when will God's children be set free? When will things be made right and, and God's cause finally and fully, completely established in a new heaven and a new earth? You have seen, O Lord, verse 22, do not be silent do not be far from me. Awake and arouse yourself, rouse yourself from my vindication, from my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. Vindicate me. 
The charges have been set down. The attack is, is in full force. Uh, rescue and, and, and show that, that my cause is the right cause. Now, again, how do we understand that? Well, let's just think about um, what David's doing here. Uh, these are not prayers for personal vengeance, but these are, uh, these are psalms written by Israel's king, David, with a passion for God's cause. He's not praying just as an individual who's having a difficult day. Uh, David is the, is, is the appointed king of, of God's people. He's the shepherd of God's sheep, and, and so he, in a sense, he's the point man of God's saving cause in the world. So when he is under attack, David has the sense it's not just about him. It's about God's cause, God's purposes, God's kingdom, God's people. And, he, and he, he'll appeal to that. Um, so, so, Lord, vindicate me, but in vindicating David, God vindicates, in a sense, his own name. And so the praises will be, uh, when, when God answers, um, we, we're, we're going to rejoice at the one who, has, who takes delight in the welfare of his people, and who is concerned with the poor and the needy. This is God's cause. And God's cause involves a just destruction of everything that's evil. Uh, the imprecatory psalms are, remind us there is a devil there is, uh, there is a father of lies, a prince of darkness. He is the face and force of evil in the world, and, and he's at work, aided by his legions of demons. And this world is under, the, the, those who walk in darkness are under his evil spell. People delight by nature in wickedness. And so... This psalm just kind of brings to mind, it breaks through our sort of sappy, sentimentalized view of things and, and reminds us there is a great spiritual battle uh, of, of God against all that is evil. God has vowed to destroy it, including the evil one himself, and, and so there's a, there's a moral cause um, at, at issue here. J.I. Packer writes this, a God's kingdom cannot come without Satan's kingdom being destroyed. Evil cannot be destroyed without the destruction of men who are permanently identified with it. Instead of being influenced by the sickly sentimentalism of the present day, Christian people should realize that the glory of God demands the destruction of evil. The church that is conscious of the life and death struggle between the two kingdoms will not exclude hatred for Satan's kingdom from its love for God's kingdom. We won't just say we love God and we're sort of ambivalent about the kingdom of darkness. We'll hate the kingdom of darkness. Packer continues, the church is compelled to show love, excuse me, love unto all men and pray for their conversion. At the same time, with her eye fixed on the promise of the coming day of the Lord, in which all of God's enemies will be crushed eternally, the church prays for the hastening of the day of judgment. And the church then should rejoice every time, any time we see evil being uh, pushed back, condemned, destroyed. Uh, if you read in the book of Revelation, again, I think it's Revelation chapter 19, where Babylon the Great is, is destroyed and the smoke from her rises up and the, and the church rejoices as the kingdom of darkness is finally condemned and destroyed. So you see, this psalm is meant to inform our emotions, inform the way that we sort of look at the world. 
uh, that we're not just individuals living our life as Christians. We are part of the cause of God, and, uh, and we need to realize that God's cause is the destruction of everything that's evil and the, um, the flourishing of everything that is good and pure. And we need to take sides. We cannot be ambivalent about the evil around us. And uh, how, does, how do we rec- read this psalm as New Testament Christians? We also need to read this psalm, and I'll wrap with this, is that um, Jesus is linked with the imprecatory psalms. Jesus, in fact, quoted the imprecatory psalms as he told his disciples in John chapter 15. He told them that the world is going to hate me. Uh, they hate me, and they're going to hate you, is what he said. And that he was going to be, he was going to be brought to trial. And uh, that trial was going to involve uh, malicious witnesses rising up against him. Uh, Jesus quotes in John 15, 25, uh, the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. He knows Psalm 35. He's quoting Psalm 35. Jesus reads himself in these pages. They gnash at me with their teeth. They, they charge me with things that I do not know, things that I, I never said or did, evils that I have not committed. That's exactly what they did. Uh, Psalm 35 is prophetic in that. And why, why did they do these? Why do they hate Jesus without cause? Well, because he's good and they are evil. And the, the devil is, is on the warpath against the Lord, against his anointed one. Psalm chapter 2. Right? Um, that's the great psalm the church loves so well. The, the, the kings of earth have gathered themselves together against the Lord and his, against, against his anointed one. Let us cast off his bonds. Let's get rid of his authority. Let's get rid of his reign. We're going to rule for ourselves. We're going we're to get rid of the reign of God over the world. And the one who sits in heaven laughs. Because he's anointed. He's installed his king on his holy hill, Jesus Christ. Jesus, you see, is, is the fulfillment of Psalm 35. And he's the answer to Psalm 35. He's the great deliverer. He's the one who in the courtroom, as the devil contends against us, who, to whom do we appeal? We appeal to Christ Jesus who has gone into that courtroom on our behalf and, and allowed the verdict of, of guilt and judgment to fall upon him so you and I in that courtroom of divine justice could hear the declaration, no more condemnation. That's awesome. One day, one day we're going we're gonna to realize um, what we actually were saying when we talked about justification. One day we're going to realize what it would have been to actually be in that courtroom and be condemned as we see uh, men and women and boys and girls led away to their everlasting destruction who live, were no different by nature than we are. And yet dragged away to just judgment and knowing that but for the grace of God go I. And then to realize as we are welcomed into an eternal heaven, a new city, a new heaven and a new earth because on one reason only, the righteousness of Jesus Christ freely imputed to us. And so we can hear from that judgment throne, well done. No condemnation, righteous. One day we'll see it. Jesus Christ is the champion who's rescued us in this great battle with evil. The evil that we find in our own selves, the evil that we face in the world, and, and the sentence of evil, death, the devil wants to destroy you. He desperately wants to destroy you. And he is far greater than you are. Far more uh, wise, much, much more able, much more powerful. 
How are you going to stand? Well, you stand because we have a great champion, one who's rescued us uh, from the devil's wiles. When, Peter, when Jesus says to Peter, and he says to all of them, actually, we're going to see that in coming weeks, uh, Satan has, has asked to sift you as wheat. The you there is plural. It's not just Simon. He's asked for all of them. He's asked for you to sift you as wheat, to make you an example of, of his power. But Jesus says, I've prayed for you. Jesus, you see, is our, is our champion. We read about that in Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus is able and Jesus has accomplished the victory. The devil is a defeated foe. So how can Psalm 35 help us to pray? Because it's a prayer. Well, let me just wrap with a remind, just a summary again. It, it teaches us to take good and evil very seriously. Um, that evil, evil is, uh, it, it is of the devil. It is fundamentally opposed to everything that, that God delights in. Uh, it is real. It wants us. And we should um, delight in the cause of God and pray for the destruction of all that is evil, all that is wrong. It's a good remembrance when we are suffering injustice, and we will. Jesus promised that we would. That it's okay to hate evil. It's okay to hate all that evil does, all the brokenness, all the despair, all the wreckage in human lives. All the, all the things that sin against the glory and goodness of God. All the lies that are told about Jesus Christ. I hope there, within you there's a, there's a revulsion against uh, all those lies. All that opposes Christ. And a hunger to see Jesus Christ uh, revealed and vindicated as the king, the good king, the just and righteous king of heaven and earth. It's okay to hate evil. We should hate evil and love Jesus and pray for his day of justice. And we can pray with confidence knowing that God does see the injustice we suffer. God does see the injustice in this world and none of it is forgotten. All that is wrong is one day going to be made right. Uh, justice will ultimately reign. The devil, as I said, has been a defeated foe. And, and one day we are going to be singing along the lines of Psalm 35. We're, we're going to be rejoicing. Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. We will do that forever. As we make um, God's cause our cause, we do it in the, in, the, in the beautiful knowledge that God has made our cause his cause. He's made your salvation a part of his glory and his honor, and one day we're going to experience it, and we will praise him. Let's pray, pray, uh, praise him right now. Well, Father, thank you for a psalm like Psalm 35 that challenges us. We thank you, O oh God, that we were once part of the darkness by nature and by choice, and thank you, God, that you were willing to rescue us when we were enemies. And Lord, we thank you that you've made our salvation your cause. We thank you, Lord, that in this world where there's so much evil, there's, 
There is a light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, and it never will. That light shines. It's the light and life of men and women and boys and girls who believe in him. May we be bold ambassadors of that light in this week ahead of us. May we uh, receive that light into our own uh, dark places in our life. Maybe, uh, Lord, into our fear and guilt and shame and, and our sins, our besetting sins. May we receive the beautiful light of Jesus Christ. Lord God, make us hate sin. Hate what is evil. Have a revulsion against everything that dishonors you and your creation and those made in your image. That we, Lord, we, we hate all the things that destroy people's lives. Father, I, I pray that uh, we would have an increased longing to see all things made right. No more death, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain. But the lion, the lion lying down with the lamb. All things made new. Give us a hunger for that, that we would cry, Lord, how long? How long? May that day come soon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.